Good morning. Uh, we continue to uh, explore together our 40 days of prayer focused on the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our scripture reading for today comes from Matthew chapter 17. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. During the days of, of Jesus' ministry here on earth, his incarnation, his glory was often veiled. And we can see his humility, his dependence on the Father, his, his obedience to the Father. He even says, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do and I only say what the Father is doing or the Father is saying. But his glory is eternal. It's existed from the eternity past and will continue into eternity future. Even during Jesus' earthly ministry, his glory is seen from time to time. His true nature, his deity. The transfiguration on the mountain is one of those times where Jesus, his glory is revealed. So what does this transfiguration tell us about Jesus? Well, I'd like to highlight three things. First, he is the Son of Man, the prophesied Messiah, the Son of Man who will come in glory. Matthew places this story of his transfiguration. Matthew is very intentional in every um story that he shares because he's, he's building an argument that Jesus is the promised Son of Man. This is clearly a reference when he talks about him as the Son of Man coming in judgment in Matthew 16. This is a clear reference to the end of the age, to the end and to the judgment. And Jesus speaking, and it's kind of a puzzling thing after he speaks of the Son of Man coming in judgment. He speaks about those of his disciples who are standing there who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And uh, so the idea here is kind of puzzling in a way. Who could live that long? But in some ways, the answer is provided in the transfiguration. So Peter, James, and John see the Son of Man, unveiled in all His glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus, Jesus is clearly, clearly 
proclaiming that he is the fulfillment of the prophecies about the Son of Man, the Messiah who would come in glory. And Peter, James, and John, even before you know Jesus is crucified, before Jesus is resurrected, before he is ascended and glorified, they see him as the Son of Man in glory. And you see, uh, scholars kind of differ on this, but this puzzling statement that some would not taste death till they see is in reference to this transfiguration that took place six days after Jesus made that statement. So what, why, why is this story so important? Well, one of the reasons that it's so important is you can see it's, it's a definitive statement that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the promised son of man. But it also helps us to understand that this is a foretaste, like this is just a taste of of the glory of Jesus and the glory that is to come when at the conclusion of all things, when, when this world comes to an end, that he will come in the glory of the Father. Now, we haven't been able, we haven't seen the end yet, but we have this foretaste of, of our Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory, not, not just in all of his humanity, not just in all of his humility and his obedience to the Father. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, you have, you have a foretaste. In many ways, of what John writes of in, in, in Revelation, when you see Jesus glorified. If you've ever read the descriptors that John, the beloved disciple, makes of Jesus in Revelation, you should go back and read them again. I mean, the, the, the wool is so white that it's heavenly white. It, it's, 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 it's so radiant and glorious. The, the, the sound of his voice is so majestic and so splendid in every way. You see, what we're getting is, is a foretaste that not only does Jesus change our lives, he changes everything. He changes how we worship, how we live. We're not living for a defeated Christ. We're living for a glorious, glorious Christ. And he gave us a foretaste of that. Now, these are all echoes of Daniel chapter 7, where one like a son of man, Jesus, comes to the Ancient of Days, the Father, and is given an everlasting kingdom. You see, that's what you're a part of. When you come in to relationship with God through Christ, you come through the Son of Man, the Messiah, and you come in relationship with, father, with his Father, the Ancient of Days. And, and, and the Father has given to the Son an everlasting kingdom over which Jesus, the suffering servant, is now the King of kings and Lord of lords of the everlasting kingdom. And this is who your king is and my king is. This is who our leader is. This is who our Savior and our friend. And we have intimacy with the one who has been given an everlasting kingdom. There's no accident here that the Ancient of Days is described as the one who has clothing white as snow 
And then Jesus here in Matthew 17, 2, is described as one having clothing white as light. See, this is purposeful. And then when you see in Revelation 1.14, you see again that glorious wool that is so pure and so perfect in every way, that is so glorious. You understand, you and I have seen you know, the color white or we've listened to the ocean or whatever it is, but what John is describing and what happened on the mountain, Mount of Figuration, you begin to realize that what we've seen is almost like a shadow of white a shadow of the sound of the ocean. When Jesus is seen in his glory, you start to say, that's what, hey, that's what gold really looks like. That's what white really looks like. That's what the sound of the ocean really is. It, it, it's a foretaste. When you really see Jesus in his glory, it's a foretaste that everything here is diluted. It's less than. But think about it. If what we experience here of joy and happiness is just a shadow, is just a taste, what must the satisfaction and fulfillment be when you get closer to the fountain? When you get closer to the source? Jesus is the source. The glory of God in the Son of God. This is a preview of the future in the transfiguration. When Jesus, the Son of Man, will come in glory to consummate His kingdom. But this kingdom could only come through. He gave this foretaste before what had to happen. And you see, part of, part of what was going on is the disciples were having trouble with what was going to have to take place. That He would have to go through death. He would have to experience becoming a curse for us, forsaken of the Father, so that He could be raised from the dead, so that He could be raised to our justification. So even, even as Jesus is experiencing this transfiguration, so interesting, He tells His three disciples to tell no one, not until He has been raised from the dead. Well, the second thing is that not only is this a foretaste of the glory of God, but it, it is a manifestation that Jesus is the Son of God whose glory has been hidden. One of the fascinating features of the story is that you have Moses and you have Elijah. In some ways, even though Moses is, is one of the great prophets of God, in this, this particular instance, he's not representing the, the Old Testament prophets, he's representing the Old Testament law. He, as the human uh, uh, you know, communicator of the law of God, represents the law. But Elijah represents the prophets. So here you have, with Jesus on the mount, the law and the prophets. And it's not hard to see why these two were summoned for their own glorious mountaintop events, plus there's connection to the future where in Revelation it says that Moses and Elijah will, will, will appear again, that they will come and preach Christ. But, but both of these men had amazing mountaintop experiences with God. Moses on Mount Sinai is so transfigured 
that when he comes down from his experience, his encounter with God, his face glows and the glory of God is so radiant upon his face that the people ask him to put a veil because they can't even look at him. Elijah had his amazing moment on Mount Carmel where against all of the prophets of Baal, he put a test to them and he said to them, if the Lord is God, then he will answer with fire. And if your God is God, and Moses was very, I mean, Elijah was very specific. He used the name of God, Yahweh, the sacred name of God. He said, if Yahweh is God, he will answer with fire. If Baal is God, your, your God is God, then he will answer with fire. And Carmel was this amazing expression of the fire of God coming down upon a wet altar, uh, utterly consuming the, the, the wood, the, the stones, everything. The heat of the fire of God, the glory of God coming down in answer to the contest of who is really the God of Israel. So both of these, both of these men have this very significant role to play. Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophets, Moses, Mount Sinai, glory of God. Elijah, Mount Carmel, the glory of God. Now, in some ways, you could say Moses' mountaintop experience was even more relevant because of his own transfiguration, his face shining so brightly that they had to cover it with a veil. But here's the thing, and here's the difference. I mean, there's a, there's a huge symbolic transference taking place here. The first difference is this. Moses was reflective of the glory of God. Jesus wasn't simply shining as Moses was, nor was Jesus shining in the way that you and I one day will as we reflect with unveiled faces the glory of God. Jesus was more than a reflected glory. It was the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, unlike Moses, shines from within. See, what Jesus had to do was basically take the veil off of his glory because he had so veiled his glory. He did not receive light. He is light. This is one of the most, for me, it's one of the most wonderful things when you look at the creation story. God said, let there be light before he even created the sun. See, God put light in the world. Light comes from God. Jesus is the light of the world. Light is a manifestation or a result of the glory of God unveiled. See, Moses had asked God to show him his glory. But Moses, in his you know, pre-glorified state, could not look upon the glory of God and live. And yet here, 1,500 years later, his prayer, show me your glory, was being answered as he gazed upon the one, the Lord Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. You see, the Father has glory in himself. The Son has the glory of the Father in himself. Moses had asked to see that glory, 
And now on the Mount of Transfiguration, his prayer was still being answered. See, in a way, the glory of the Transfiguration isn't just a preview of the future, but it's a peek into eternity past. It's the glory that Christ had with the Father before the world ever existed. It was a glimpse behind the veil at the glory that Christ continued to unchangeably possess. Despite being hidden, the glorious form of God beneath the humble form of a servant. Why is that so important? Because, I mean, I can't even, as I go through this point, I can't even go through this point without getting choked up. Because that's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. That's the Jesus who loves us. I mean, he's not just, he's not just a religious fanatic. He's not just a, a sentimental figure. He's not a moral teacher only. He's not a religious leader. He's not one who, like Moses, reflected the glory of God. He is the glory of God. And he was willing for your sake and mine to veil that glory so that he could be the Son of Man for us, that he could be our representative, he could be our sacrifice, and he could be our righteousness. So the Father speaks, and he says, basically, this is the Son, this is my beloved Son to whom I'm asking, he says, listen to him, hear him. See, besides their previous mountaintop experience, there's probably another reason Moses and Elijah were summoned. Again, Moses the law, Elijah the prophets. See, their, their appearance with Jesus continues Matthew's portrayal of Jesus as one who fulfills all the law and all the prophets. And here is that symbol of approval of Jesus' fulfillment. I mean, the greatest symbol of the pr- approval of Jesus' fulfillment of the law and prophets is his resurrection. That's the Father's seal of approval. But what an awesome thing that even before Jesus went through the cross, before he was resurrected, the one representing the law and the one representing the prophets are right there with the very Son of Man that the Father has sent for us. Um, See, Moses and Elijah could say, thus says the Lord. But Jesus always said, but I say to you. Come on, that, that's huge. That is a huge thing. Moses and Elijah could say, thus says the Lord. But Jesus alone could say, but I say to you. See, that the, the law and the prophets had prophesied up until John the Baptist, but now they had reached their climax in Jesus the one whose sandals, even the greatest among women, John the Baptist, wasn't worthy to carry. The transfiguration was a glimpse glimpse behind the veil of the glory that Christ continued to possess, despite having hidden it beneath the humble form of the servant. So there's another aspect here that's so interesting. Moses prophesied, because he was a prophet, and he prophesied, that one greater than himself would appear, one whom the Lord knew face to face, just as Moses had known the Lord face to face. 
Now Moses, the prophet, is standing face to face with the very prophet that he had prophesied in Deuteronomy 18.15. Indeed, the words, listen to him, which formed the only addition to this otherwise verbatim repeat of what Jesus had heard from the Father at his baptism, these words, listen to him, invoke the words of Moses when he said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. It is to him you shall listen. Man, if, if, if our Jewish neighbors, our, our religiously Jewish neighbors could actually listen to Moses about this, they would realize Moses is pointing in every way to the Lord Jesus Christ, that Moses, the prophet of God, is saying, listen to Jesus, to everyone. And Matthew is telling us, by the transfiguration, by Moses' word, by the Father's words, that Jesus is that prophet. There is, a, there is an awful reality of getting caught up in religion, of getting caught up in performance, of trying your very best to be moral, to be good, to do all of these things, to be devout, to be orthodox, to whatever descriptor that you want to put on it. And yet, the Father is saying, and He has Moses say it, and he has Elijah say it. This is the one to whom everything pointed. And this is the moment where the seal of the law and the seal of the prophets is put on Jesus Christ to say, He's what we pointed to. Everything points to Jesus. Elijah was good. Moses was great. But when Peter suggested, let's build a tent for each of them, the Father would have none of it. At that moment, you get a clear picture. Moses, Elijah were the prophets of the Father, but this is the Father's Son. This is my Son, the Beloved One. Listen to Him. And when the lights go down and the glory subsides, they saw no one but Jesus only. Wow. Wow. No one but Jesus only. Listen to him. The transfiguration, we can see the multifaceted glory of Jesus. Incomparable is Jesus. Moses doesn't even compare. Elijah doesn't even prepare to compare. Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is not just a teacher. He is God's glorious son. But also, here's the thing. As we see the, the eternal glory in Jesus that he had veiled, do you understand? You get a preview of what your life will be like on the final mountain where we will all be transfigured. Do you know, if you have come into a right relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, not only in this season of your life are you being made holy being made healed and all of these things that are happening but you are on your way to glory and that picture of the glory of Moses and the glory of Elijah and the glory of Jesus is a picture of your final mountain where his glory will provide all the light that we need and where he will tabernacle Jesus the glory of God 
will tabernacle not only with Moses and Elijah, but with all of his people. That will be glory indeed. This is where we're headed. The glory revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration is the glory that you will live in for all eternity. Uh, just to say one more time, <laughs> I'll probably say it over and over again, but glory is what you're looking for. Glory is the basis of any true identity. Glory is what you boast in. Glory is what you live for. Glory is when it is enough for you to live for, when it is enough for your identity, when it is enough for eternity. Glory is something that is beautiful and under pressure gets even more beautiful. Under heat gets even more pure. Glory is beauty and purity together and it can't be lost. Glory is weight, heaviness, substance. Glory is worth, value. So what's being shown here is the beauty, the purity, the weight, and the worth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is being offered here for those who are in union with Christ is that His glory becomes your glory. Now, in many ways, it may seem veiled in this season of your life. It may seem veiled at this time of your life. This is why this is the only time when you can offer your greatest gift to God, which is your faith. Lord, I believe in your glory. Even not having seen it, I believe it. Even not having touched it, but yet I have experienced the glory of the Son of God in my life. It is His beauty. It is His purity. It is the weight of, and substance of His life in my life. It's the permanence. It's the worth and the value of my life. Everything in your life is being tested to see if you are leaning on, if you are boasting in, if you are counting on His glory, or if you're counting on your own glory. Think about it. Here's Here's three amazing glorified people in the midst of Peter and John. And Peter wants to build, he wants to build a church for them. He wants to build a tabernacle. He wants to build a dwelling place. And as great as Moses was, and as beautiful as the law is, God the Father takes it away. As wonderful as all the Old Testament prophets were and prophecies were, the Lord says, Look to Jesus, and he takes Elijah away. See, there's only one who is permanent. There's only one who has intrinsic glory. There's only one who can give you his glory. Moses can't give you his glory because his is reflected. Elijah can't give you his glory because his is reflected. Only Jesus, the Son, can give you his glory. And only with his glory and his glory alone can you weather the storms. Can you come out more and more pure and healed and without spot or blemish? Only with His glory does your worthless life become worth gold. Only, only as He binds His glory to yours are you eternal. It changes not only the way we live, but it changes the way we worship. We worship the one who is willing to veil His glory so that now he can share his glory with us.
praise you, Lord Jesus.